Uh, today I get to talk to you about reaching the next generation, and I'm really excited to talk about it. I don't know if you missed the meeting where we labeled each generation, but apparently there are six generations living in America right now. Did you know that? There's the GI generation, born between 1901 and 1926. No shout outs? Okay. Mature, silent generation. These are kind of negative labels, too. I'm like, I don't, we should have gotten pastors to label these. Uh, 1927 to 1945, we got the baby boomers, 1946 to 1964. They called them the me generation. One career in their lifetime, typically. Wow. Generation X, 1965 to 1980. What I read says they don't feel like a generation, but they are. <laughs> Typically have seven career changes in their lifetime. Then there was Generation Y, the millennials, 1981 to 2000, the first digital generation. They're very assertive with strong views. <laughs> and then Generation Z, apparently they're called the boomlets, born after 2001. Apparently gonna be the largest generation I guess birth rates are up. Uh, they don't play with toys very long. That was the most interesting. I guess they turn to mobile apps now instead of Barbies and Lego. Okay. So if you want to reach the next generation, if you want to reach Generation Z, I think you need to be brought up to speed on some of the lingo going on. So I found out uh, there's a high school teacher. He's 43 years old. He started making a list of all the, the lingo he didn't understand his students saying. Uh, so I'm going to quiz you on some of these. want to know if you know some. I even have some T-shirts to throw at you if you know a couple of the hard ones. I'm going to start with the easy ones, though. All right. Do you know what this means? Cray. Crazy. All right. Goat. Greatest of all time. Woke. You're aware, right? You know what's going on. You're sympathetic. You're, you're, you're woke. Slay. Killing it. All right. All right. Let's step it up to tier two here. Cake your face. Putting on the makeup. How about catch a fade? That's you got punched. You you caught a punch. This is my personal favorite. Clap back. Definition. Respond to an insult with equal or greater insult. Gucci. Looking good, fine, yep. This is, this is a good one. Bible. Apparently, if you start your sentence with Bible, anything you say following is truth. So, all right, I got a shirt for this one. On fleek. I can't hear what you're saying, so I'll just throw it. That means looking perfect. Hundo P, 100%. All right, last one, one more shirt. Jomo. Yes. All right, there used to be FOMO, the fear of missing out. Now it's Jomo when you just want to take a nap and you're good. I'm fine missing out on whatever else is going on. Jomo. All right, I had to cut out like 30 of them, so that's just the beginning. All right, so to reach the next generation, though, I think first I just want to celebrate how many amazing things God is doing through our young people at our church.
should be really excited and proud. Uh, you know, in the college movement, uh, there's so many things going on. Last year, we launched two college services on two different campuses. Uh, they've been going really strong. You know, this summer, we had over 55 college students go out to the nations on mission trips for at least two weeks. 55, that's, that's really intense. Uh, and uh, we've been seeing great leaders raised up. So many lives changed. I've got millions of stories to tell. Uh, but we're really dreaming to reach 49 college campuses around San Diego County, uh, working hard. Our youth, uh, I've been talking with Nick and the team about different stories going on there uh, in our anchored youth group. Obviously, they have Desert Land coming up uh, this week, which is going to be great. Uh, a couple stories there. Uh, we have a club that we're part of, a Patrick Henry School with four other churches. You know, there's about 120 high school students going to that club who are unchurched. And 35 of those students came to Christ this last semester. So that's exciting. Uh, I heard a story about one of our youth who came to Anchor the other, uh, uh, the other month and heard this challenge to start reading his Bible. So he started reading his Bible at home, and some of his friends started making fun of him. So what did he do? He said, you should come read it with me. So now they're reading the Bible with him. Somebody told me after the last said they said, that's a clapback. So I don't know if that's a clapback, but sounds good to me. But the next generation is a theme through the Bible. It's always totally intrigued me that the last scripture in the Old Testament speaks about this. Because God could have wrapped up the Old Testament with kind of any statement. Like, I would have been like, hold on, Jesus is coming someday. You know, I don't know, that's me. But in Malachi 4.5, it says, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Isn't that wild that the whole Old Testament wraps up with a statement that, hey, when, when the end days come, when Jesus comes around, what's going to happen? The former generation is going to turn their heart to the new generation. The new generation is going to turn their heart to the old generation. Fathers are going to love their children. Children are going to love their fathers. And this is such amazing evidence of Jesus in your life. And you can watch this happen to people. You don't have to tell them this, but you can watch. When somebody gives their heart to Jesus, they start having great love and compassion for their parents, and parents start having great love and compassion for their kids. It's crazy what happens when God gets older your life. So central to God's heart is this love for the next generation. Uh, there's also examples in the Bible where we hear about entire generations not knowing the Lord. In Judges chapter 2, verse 10, this is intriguing because this verse 10 comes right after the verse that talks about Joshua dying. Joshua, great hero of the faith, amazing leader of a generation. But then it says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. So this generation, every time they tried to rise up against the enemy, they conquered and plundered. It was brutal for that whole generation. And, you know, that's why we as a church, as, uh, you know, as pastors and leaders too, we we're not just dreaming and talking about the next five years. We dream and plan for the next 50 years and beyond. And we talk about that a lot. Not five years, 50 years. 
What's our vision for the next generation and the generations to come after that? That's why we're building a building that can be established for generations to come so our sons and daughters can be the leaders there and lead the next generation. Even if we don't have a building, we'll just keep moving from place to place and do it anyway. <laughs> so nothing can stop the next generation from being raised up if we want to do it. Now, I did a lot of research. You know, I've always been interested in the trends of generation after generation, what's happening. And to be honest, it's a little confusing. I keep looking at different stats and measurements, and everyone's different. There's one that, like, totally depressed me for a while. It was like, hey, yeah, in 1927, 65% of the nation was Christian, and now 2%. Where are the Christians? <laughs> right? And then there's other studies that are like, the church is growing and exploding, and new, you know, young people are coming to Christ. And then there's others that are like, it's just staying steady. So I don't know what's going on, to be honest. Let's admit it. I don't know. I do know that every person needs Jesus and that we need to keep carrying the gospel to every generation. So let's just keep doing that. Now, this, I think, is a great prayer and statement over every one of our lives. In Psalm 71, it says, Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day, Right now, I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. So what a great prayer to thank God. Don't let my life end until I've declared you to the next generation. You know, right now or when I'm old, and, here's me old and gray. I use the face app. That's me. So that... There it is. It's interesting if you've done that, it kind of makes you think about you, like, hey, what am I going to do when I'm a little older, 20, 30 years? Well, I, I do believe I'm going to be more on fire than now. I'm going to keep pouring into people's lives. I'm going to declare God's marvelous deeds to the next generation. And, you know, what does Jeff say? We're not going to retire. We're going to get refired, right? <laughs> okay. Didn't get the cheer. I was hoping for Jeff there. <laughs> Not survival, thrival. I got a whole list of Jeff quotes. Uh, Psalm 45. God says, your sons will take the place of your fathers, and you will make them princes throughout the land. That's a big scripture in our house. My wife loves that scripture, declaring that over our kids. Our sons will take the place of their fathers and do greater and even better things for Jesus than we ever have. You know, that's our dream. So that's God's heart right there. Now, how are we a part of this? How can I be a part of reaching the next generation? To be honest, if I was preaching this sermon, which is reaching the next generation, or if my sermon was titled reaching older people for the gospel, or if it was reaching young professionals or reaching moms for Jesus, it would actually be the same message, to be honest. I don't know if I'd go over the same slang words, but it is the same principle. Are you ready for the secret? How do you reach the next generation? Get rich give it away. That's it. I've actually been talking to the team about changing our, you know, let's get rocked. Let's get real. Let's get rich. Give it away. <laughs> so, let me unpack that a little more so you're not mad at me. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. This is a life verse for me. It changed my life when I read it in college. I know you have your life scriptures that changed your life. This one is one that I build my life on. 
It says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. How cool is that? You know, that means that is if, if you are in Christ, you are now being made rich in how many ways? Every way so you can be generous when? Every time. Every occasion, you're called to be generous. Now, the Bible's really clear that disciples of Jesus will have seasons in their life where they're financially have plenty and financially some seasons don't have anything. So this isn't talking about being rich financially. I'm not preaching a prosperity thing here. Seasons come and go where we have money and we can be and we should be generous with our money. That's that's good. Let's do that. But this is talking about a bigger life principle about every area of our lives. Apart from Christ, you're poor. If you don't have Christ, you're poor in spirit, poor in love, poor in relationship, poor in purpose, you're poor. In Christ, you've been made rich. You're rich in spirit, rich in faith, rich in relationship, rich in purpose. You're rich. You know, you were dead, now you're alive. You were in the dark, now you're in the light. You were poor, now you're rich. So this is a principle we've got to get. And I think a big reason we don't impact the next generation or reach others for Christ is because we don't realize how rich we are. We think, I'm, I'm just poor. I have nothing to give. I'm poor. I'm poor. If I give that, I have nothing left. I'm poor. You know, it's that poverty mindset over our lives that prevents us from impacting the next generation or those around us. So turn to your neighbor. I know some of you hate doing this, but it's okay. Introverts, do it with me. Look at the person next to you and say, you are richer than you think. All right, good job. How rich are you? Number one, you are rich in faith. You are rich in faith. In James 2.5, it says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? So even if, you, you know, if the world looks at you and goes, poor. From the eyes of Jesus, from reality, you want to know reality is you are rich in faith. Uh, I love this story. You might have heard it already at one of our meetings, but uh, one of our teams was in South Africa uh, this summer doing a short-term work there along with our full-time church plant that's there. Uh, they were in an area called Kayamundi, which is um, an impoverished area right next to Stellenbosch. And they were going house to house. Now, the strategy they were doing to kind of bless people was to go into their, you know, go into their home, chat, get to know them, take a picture of the family, and then come back three days later with a framed photo, and they'd write a scripture on the back and a blessing over their household and give them that framed photograph, which is a big deal there uh, because they're not able to do those kinds of things. Now, in one household, uh, a few of our people walked into, uh, they took a picture of this family here. We'll show the picture. And as they talked with them, they realized this girl on the couch, she's 29 years old, 26 years old. Uh, she hadn't walked in three months because of a problem. They couldn't really figure out what was going on, but it was an abdomen or kind of pelvis problem. And she hasn't been off that couch for three months. Now, they prayed over her, and they had to go, so they left. And then a few days later, they came back. Now, when they had prayed for this girl, they, they will self-admittedly say they didn't have a lot of faith for anything to happen. Uh, didn't feel a lightning bolt strike the room, or you know, she didn't jump up off the couch and start dancing and then go make them dinner or something. Uh, you know, they, they prayed and left. Three days later, they come back with the framed photo, ready to present that. They can't find the girl. She's not on the couch. Where is she? 
Well, she comes walking around the corner, and then they tell the story. That very night that you prayed for her, that evening she got up off the couch for the first time in three months and has been up ever since. And then they were able to take a picture of her right here, holding the photo that they framed and brought to that household. Isn't that amazing? What I love about the story is that our team felt pretty weak in their faith in that moment, and you do this all the time, admit it. I was even, I was even praying for my daughter last night uh, in her bed, and she had like a headache, and I had like no faith at all. I was like, I don't know, what is it sometimes? We're so fickle. Sometimes I'll sit in front of like a blind person. I'm like, you're getting healed today. I know it's going to happen. You know, I'm just full of faith. And then I'm sitting in front of my daughter with this little tiny headache. I'm like, this is impossible. This is, there's no way this is going to happen. Get the Tylenol ready, you know. And it's just the way we are, right? What I love, though, is that God promises. Matthew 17, he says, truly, I tell you, if you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And here's the truth. Some faith is better than no faith. People that don't have Christ have no faith. How can they have faith? They talk about, like the world talks about faith and hope all the time. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, if you don't have Jesus, what are you putting faith in? Like the, it doesn't make sense. Some faith, if you have some faith, you're rich. Like, you walk up to someone who has no faith, and you just say, let me pray for you, for this or that, or whatever it is. They look at you like, man, you're rich. It's like, it's like walking up to somebody that has no money, and you got a little money. You're rich. I just got to tell you, you are rich in faith. If you have Christ in your life, you're rich. You don't need a lot. You just need a little bit, and you can see miracles happen. Acts chapter 3, Peter knew it. He walked up to a man and said, silver or gold I don't have. What I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. The guy got up and walked. Now, he, you know, maybe other seasons Peter will walk up and say, here's 100 bucks, and I'm going to pray for you. But in that season, Peter had no money. But he was still rich. That's what I love about 2 Corinthians 9-11 any season of my life, I'm rich. doesn't matter how much money I have. I'm rich all the time. I can be generous on every occasion. I've done something really smart with my life. I'm going to brag a little bit. Wise, I'm wise and old now. I've surrounded myself with friends who have more faith than me. I, I love hanging out with my friends and people in my life because they actually have more faith for me than I have for myself half the time. And they always say stuff to me when I'm not thinking about it or not able to believe for certain things. And they just declare things over my life. I want you to know the number one way to see transformation in somebody's life is to get them around people who have more faith than they do. You get it? You with me? That means that if somebody's hanging out around you, their life will get changed because you have more faith than they do. In fact, my number one strategy for winning San Diego State and the 49 college campuses in this city are to get those students in friendship with our students. Because when, when, when people get involved with people who love God and have faith, their lives get changed. That's why I'm trying to get housing. I'm going to declare this as a prayer right now. We're trying to buy a house right next to San Diego State for the college movement, right next to all the frats and sororities, because I want us to throw the biggest parties. I want us to get people hooked up in the right friendships, to be around people filled with faith, because that will change their life just by itself. So, you know, we want to be faith-filled people. 
And we have to understand how rich we are in faith. I also learned, uh, I remember that actually the night that I was sitting in front of a life group I was running, and I realized, God really spoke to me and said, Jason, you know, see that one individual there and that one over there? You might be the only person in their life to believe for them, ever. Parents never believed for them, never had a Christian friend that believed for them. You might be the only person in their whole life to believe. Will you believe for that person, that they can overcome that, that they could become this, whatever it might be? Like, what a great opportunity we all have to believe for somebody. So let's believe. Number two, you're rich in knowledge. Did you know you're rich in knowledge? In John chapter 8, it says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. A little bit of knowledge about Jesus can set somebody free and change their life forever. Uh, In addition to working at the church, I work in sales as well. And uh, I sell technology and it's super complicated. I sell artificial intelligence and machine learning. Okay. I don't understand it. (laughs) Let's just admit it. And I started getting really insecure when I started, started in this industry because I was walking into, you know, CEO's offices of, like, big companies and trying to sell them something. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and then somebody at work said something to me, and it, it helped. He said, hey, Jason, did you know by getting the little bit of training you've had and by being around the people here at our company, you know more about artificial intelligence and machine learning than 99% of people you will talk to. And I suddenly, re- it changed my life. It literally did. Now I walk into CEO, CEO's office and chief technology officers like, I know more than you. Now, I'm not saying that I know more about life than they do or how to build their company, but I know more about this than they do. <laughs> like, so I feel a great authority walking in in front of anybody really on that topic because I have a little bit of knowledge. A little bit's a lot more than nothing. And I think when we start to get to know something, what happens is we start realizing how much we don't understand. Are you like this? Like when I started to get to know Jesus, I was like, I get it. Hundy P. I got it. I understand it. And then I realized I know nothing. Anybody feel like, I'm like, I don't get it. (laughs) There's too much to learn. I know nothing. I got nothing to offer. Don't give me a microphone. I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, much less speak to someone. Like, how can I talk to somebody about their life and all these things? Let me tell you something. Like, you don't need to be a Bible scholar to share the knowledge of Jesus. Just the fact that you know Jesus can change somebody's, like, just say, hey, Jesus loves you. Died for you. Give him your heart. Life changed. That knowledge, the simple gospel, the knowledge of the simple things we take for granted because we hear it all the time. The simple things are what changes lives. I just want to say you are rich in knowledge. There was a time I was in Bogota, Colombia with a church that we were really impacted by and I was hanging out with them. Part of my job with going on this trip was to learn about their kids' church and what they do for their kids. And uh, so I'm standing in this park There's 80,000 people at this church event. Uh, I'm not, it was ridiculous. Just sea of people. And there's this nine, there's this little girl like next to us playing with her friends. And she was Colombian. I was like, oh, maybe she goes to the church. I could ask her what they do for kids church. So I'm like, hey, what's up? And we became friends and we uh, started talking. I was like, how old are you? She's like nine. 
was like, oh, what do you do for, what do you do for kids' church? Like, what do you like about kids' church? And she goes, oh, I just started my life group. And I was like, no. Uh, misunderstanding, like language, probably, barrier here. Um, not what do your parents do, what do you do at the church? Like, tell me about your bounce houses and stuff. And she goes, she was like offended, uh, seriously, like the way she looked at me. And she goes, actually, I started two life groups. And uh, <laughs> so at, the, at this church, uh, there's, a, there's kind of a central vision that they, they challenge everybody to go disciple 12 people like Jesus did. And so this girl, I was like, can you tell me a little bit more about this? And she goes, yeah, well, my first, my first life group is 10-year-olds, and I have 12 of them coming. Uh, I just started my second one. It's with eight-year-olds. I only have eight, but we're praying for four more to come, right? And I was like, how did, I was like, how did you do this? And she's, she's like, well, my parents and I, we sat down, and we wrote down all the names of the girls in my class and, and the class above me and below me, and we just started praying for them, and then I invited them to my life group, and now they come. And my parents and I run it together. So I just want to say, listen, if a nine-year-old girl has enough knowledge to pour out her life for the 10-year-olds and 8-year-olds. Do you have any knowledge you could give somebody? I think you do. We, we make things complicated, but let's just get simple. The simple things change lives. And uh, I think it's a big priority of us here is that we don't try, we're not trying to have theology school right here on Sundays. We're trying to get a hold of Jesus' heart and the simple things so that we can get our lives changed and then go change some lives as well. So we're rich in knowledge. Number three, you're rich in love. Do you know how much the world is longing for some real stuff, for some real love? Uh, Galatians 5.19, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, patience, kindness, all that good stuff, right? So the Holy Spirit's in you. That means you are rich in all of these things. Uh, one of my favorite commercials of all time was from about eight years ago. It was a, it was a commercial for the Olympics. I don't even know who did it. And I can't do the voice but it was awesome. You know, it was like one of those like Morgan Freeman voices. And it was like, everybody has traces of carbon, calcium, and even gold in their body. There are trace amounts of gold in every body, 0.2 milligrams to be exact. It's in our bones. It's in our bloodstream. But the highest concentration of gold is found in the heart. We are all made from gold. It's in us all. Only some have the strength to dig it out. <laughs> That's good, right? It's like, you like want to go kill something after seeing it. Uh, I guess that was my response, maybe not yours. <laughs> the, uh, the amazing thing as Christians is we have the, the, the call to call the gold out of people's lives to to like look in there and go, God is, God's designed you for some great purpose. I'm going to call that thing out of you. And people need that love over their life. I was thinking back on um, life-changing moments that I experienced when I was 19 years old and first came to Christ. Do you know, almost every single one of them involved an older man in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. To give you an idea of a few of these, uh, after church one day, I just started going to church for the first time. And this guy took me to lunch afterwards. He's in his 30s, bought me a tri-tip sandwich. Sat in front of me. This is what changed my life, though. He sat in front of me. It was the first time I ever had a man say to me, Jason, been praying for you. 
been thinking about you. God's going to do great things with your life. I'm going to keep praying for you. Here's the scripture. Share the scripture. I don't remember it. You know what I remember? There's a guy, there's a man saying that he cares about me and is, is I've never, this was like blowing my brain. I'm talking about it right now because it changed my life. There was another time right after a church service, a man probably in his 50s came up to me and said, hey, uh, can I pray for you before you go? First time I ever had somebody pray for me. You know, laid his hand on my shoulder, said something, can't remember it. But I remember how much I felt loved and how much that changed my life. I was like, this is amazing. You know, uh, I remember the first time after a life group, uh, a man in his, he was probably 48, 49, came up to me and he said, hey, during worship, I was just praying and um, felt like God told me something for you. I was like, that's strange. Uh, he goes, are you an architect? <laughs> I was like, what? Because I was an architecture major. And then he goes, God just wants you to know he's going to lift that burden off your shoulders. You've been really stressed lately, but he's going to provide for you. And amazing word for my life. First time I ever experienced like a word of knowledge through somebody. Uh, you know, last week, Pastor Roland, I loved his message as he told us how to show love to somebody. Just look him in the eyes for 20 seconds and, and see them and listen to him, right? I, mean, I remember when I, uh, there was a 60-year-old man who taught me how to pray for somebody. He said, this is how you do it. Put your hand on their shoulders. Put yourself in kind of God's view for a second. And just go, hey, if God's their father. So as a father, what would I say to this person? It was amazing. You know, so, man, every, I could go on and on, but so many moments where people of former generations poured into me, just how much did that cost them? 30 seconds of their time, 60 seconds of their time. The cool thing about faith and love is once you give it, you just got more. Do you hear that? Like, you don't run out of it. It doesn't cost you anything. Like, give the faith. Oh, I got more faith right here. Give some love. I got more love right here because God is plentifully enriching me and filling me up. We need to pour out our lives. Number four, we're rich in encouragement. Quick video for you. My son, Justice, standing for the first time. Let's see it. Oh, come on, boy. Let's see you. Let's see you. Let's see you. Come on. Come on. Oh, you're doing so well. Oh, oh you're so tired. It's tiring. It's okay. Oh, come on. You're doing it. Well done. Oh. Down. <laughs> Uh, just one quick point on this. I think we need to be so good at encouraging and cheering for each other. And the church, one of the richest things we have as a church is that we are a family cheering for each other. Whereas the world is tearing each other down and jealous of each other, we are cheering for each other and saying, way to go, man. Take that for a good job. I want you to do better than me. How wild is that? How different is that than the, the world? I want you to do better than me. That's amazing. Like, what if the, the, the older generations turn around to the younger and say, I want you to do more and better than me. Let me help you do it. Whereas the rest of the world is trying to shut them down so that they can do better themselves. What an opportunity. You know, I think, I think the church should be more like going to recital. You know, like when you go to your daughter's recital and it's not that good, but you're like cheering. Not, the church, this, this is not where you buy a ticket and go watch a perfect performance, right? This is like, you should, the people on stage are your family, right? Like somebody singing for the first time, like, 
Like, we should be excited when we see people preaching for the first time, sharing testimonies. I'm so glad I had somebody get me up to preach way before I was ready. I'm sure it was so bad. But everybody, the mentality of the church was like, yeah, like a young, you know, he's doing it, man. He's doing it. Boom, falls down. (laughs) You know, we need to, we need to get good at just raising people up and cheering them on. Lastly, maybe most importantly, you're rich in relationships. I think this is the one and the biggest thing we forget. Like we get so used to this. All the love around us and life group and people that know us and know our name and care about us, praying for us. I got somebody to turn to in bad times. We get used to this. I'm not going to read Acts 242 because you read it every week at life group. The people were getting together, right? Breaking bread in people's homes. People's lives are getting changed. We're just so rich. One of the big uh, realizations I had was the first time I, one of the first times I took a college student over to my house up at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. I picked up George from the dorms. George. Brought him over to my house. I was really excited because I was trying to impact his life for Jesus. And I was like, this is going to be awesome. We're going to make him dinner, watch a movie. So Hannah makes a meal and it wasn't that good. Just, let's just admit it. That night, a little off. (laughs) she's okay with me saying this there's some spaghetti I was like oh bummer movie not so good you know just a flop of a movie I'm like what a bummer I was so excited about that night to impact George's life Uh, we jump back in the car and I'm driving him back to the dorm I'm just about to apologize to him and be like George sorry man like come back over next week let's let's have a redo I'm just about to say this to him he goes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I always remember the look on his face, too. He's like, Jason, that was the best food I've had in five months. He's like, I'm so tired of the cafeteria food. Can I please come back, like, tomorrow or soon? Can we? <laughs> and then this is what changed me. He said, Jason, I've never heard a family talk to each other like you did. Uh, the way you talk to Hannah, uh, he's like, I've never seen kids treated the way you guys treat your kids. Like with like love and he started describing all these interactions. I was thinking about the movie the whole night. He was like, his life was getting changed dramatically by watching me talk to Hannah about how the food wasn't that good. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But he was watching the love in my house, which I'm just used to. In fact, I thought that was a tough season in our life. I didn't think we were doing that well. He looked at me and goes, man, you're the richest family I've ever seen in my life. I've never seen dads treat their kids like that. And, you know, he's describing all this stuff. I just realized I'm so rich. Do you know what the biggest lesson I learned from all of that is just by being around me will change your life. Some of you need to get comfortable with saying that about yourself. Just by hanging out with me, that'll change your life. I used to write pamphlets for my guys I was discipling about how they can make disciples. Like, here's the 10 meetings you have to have and the eight lessons you have to walk them through, which is all good. But now what I teach is go hang out with somebody a lot, consistently. Get them around you, their life will change. That's it. You want to disciple somebody, just get around them a lot. Don't hand them a pamphlet and say, go read this at home. Go watch some sermons on tape. Get them in your life. This is the number one reason some churches don't reach the lost in the next generation. They send them on tracks and programs. They don't include them. And they're withholding the greatest gift they have, which is themselves. Like me, I'm the best gift I can give you. 
I'm messed up and all that, but I'm rich. So my kids, my wife, that's the best I can give you. And if I withhold that from you, I, I'm missing out on changing your life in the most dramatic way possible. I just want to say, church, let's give what we have. We are rich. I'm rich. You're rich. You're richer than you think. Include people in your Bring them to life group. That'll change their life. Let them hang out with your friends. Just include them in the meals you already have. You don't even have to add things to your schedule. Just include them in stuff you already do. It'll change their lives. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, right? Imitate me while I... That's how you disciple people. I want to invite the band up, but... Um, or am I inviting the band up? Maybe not. As we end... <laughs> Cheers. Little quote to end on. You can stand up, actually. It's the second or third generation in a church that is the true test of how wise the first generation was. So when you dream about your family, your church, or ministry, that's maturity. and That's when you got it. When you can see two, three, four, five generations still standing in Christ from what we built today. So uh, let's close our eyes together and just uh, give the Lord our hearts to this purpose.